What an amazing story. I tell you, it's good to see you here this morning and so excited uh, about what God is going to do here this morning and what he has already done. Uh, I'm, it's good to see you here. I tell you, um, I don't know about you, but for me, uh, this, this time that we have together is always one of the highlights of my week, just coming together with our faith family and just spending time together, just uh, worshiping together, uh, just hearing stories of life changed together, witnessing baptism together, and what a special baptism we saw this morning. It's just so exciting to see God at work in so many different ways. If you're a guest with us here this morning, we are honored that you are with us this morning because uh, we, we want to know that, that, that God is doing something not only in our life but in the lives of others. And I don't have any doubt that, that you being here today is not by accident. I believe God wanted you here today for whatever reason and I was just listening to Kurt's story and just thinking about all the different stories that exist in the life of this church. I mean, everybody standing, every usher standing at the door, every, every person that's serving in DPK, everybody that's at the welcome desk, everybody that's sitting in here this morning has a story of, of life change and what God is doing in their life here at Cross Point or, or in other places as well. And I'm just so excited to just know that God is working to that degree, that, that our lives are being transformed by a holy and righteous God. This morning, we're going to be diving deeper into our series that we call Synergy and just uh, really asking God to continue to grow us and to teach us and to mature us as believers in Christ Jesus. So I want to, I want to pray for us, and then we're going to jump into the Word of God here this morning. But it's good to see you. I'm thankful that we have this opportunity to gather together. And if you're visiting with us today, we are glad that you're here. So let's pray and just ask God to meet us here this morning. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord Jesus, Holy Spirit of God, Lord, we are thankful for your presence in this place. We are thankful, God, for the opportunity we have to just worship together as a faith family. Lord, to see uh, Spence just baptizing his own children this morning is such a, a testimony of what you're doing in the life of this church, and, and God, just how encouraging it is to me to, to be able to witness that, to see that, to be a, a part of that story, and God, just hearing the, the testimony that Kirk gave in the video today and just knowing that you are changing lives, transforming lives each and every day, God is such a blessing to us. And Father, we are grateful for your presence in this place. We're thankful for the opportunity we have to gather here to worship together. As Spence mentioned earlier, the, the, the reality that there is power in our praise. And God, that's what we're here to do is just praise your name. Lord, you are the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And we acknowledge that this morning, and God, we just thank you for your presence here today. Lord, be with us now as we dive into your word, as we consider what the truth of your word has to teach us, and Father, may we continue to be sanctified by the power of your word and the presence of your spirit in our life, and it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Last week, we sort of dove into this idea that, that we all would hopefully embrace, and that is that that God desires for each and every one of us to mature in our faith. You know, we talked about how for us journeying with God, it begins with an with authentic salvation experience where God saves us by his grace through our faith in Christ Jesus. And that is just the beginning point. In fact, the Bible talks about the reality that, that in that place in our life, we are nothing more than just spiritual babes in need of the nourishing milk of God's word. And 
But, but we also see as we read through Scripture that God takes a spiritual babe and he matures that person through the sanctifying power and presence of his Holy Spirit. And we grow and we mature in our faith. And uh, obviously, we have some responsibility in that as well. I think one, desiring to grow with God, desiring to mature in our faith, but also the reality that we are called to pray and to fast and to spend time in God's Word and just meditate there and, and to just come to Him in fellowship. And so the, the reality is that our growth is a result of all of that sort of happening together. And this morning, we want to dive into God's Word. Now, last week, we talked about trusting God, and I think it's so important that we understand the need to not only just love God with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our mind, but to also move to a place where because of who Christ is and because of who God is, we can, we can love Him and we can trust Him. And today we're going to be looking at something else. We're going to dive a little bit deeper than that, I guess, and that is to look at what it means to surrender to Him. So the, uh, we're going to be talking about surrendering and that is to the Lordship of Christ Jesus. Now, surrender is, is basically a military term. It's a military term used here in Scripture that we see. But this idea of surrendering to God uh, sort of stems from this military term that basically means two things. One, it means that we, to, um, we cease excuse me, to resist or we stop resisting. And then secondly, we submit to to the authority that is now above us. So in other words, if we were going to battle with another nation, so to speak, or with someone, if we were in a fight, so to speak, and we were to lose, we would have to surrender. We would cease to, to resist the, the fight, and then we would submit to the authority of that one now being above us or ruling over us. And so we, we come to understand surrender is sort of a negative thing. But in reality, for the, for the disciple of Christ Jesus, when they surrender to the lordship of Christ, it can be not only just a very enlightening thing, but it can be a very empowering thing, and it can be a very encouraging thing, and it can be a very sweet and beautiful thing as we find ourselves giving in to the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And so today we want to talk about what it means to surrender one of the most powerful stories of surrender in all of Scripture, I believe, is found in Genesis chapter 22. It is the story of God testing Abraham by basically instructing him to sacrifice his son. And so God would test Abraham by basically saying to Abraham, in fact, we read this in the Scripture where, where God says to Abraham, he says, Abraham, and he says, here am I. You know, he sort of speaks back to God, and he says, here I am, Lord, and he says, Abraham, this is what I want you to do. I want you to take your son, your only son, Isaac, and I want you to, uh, to present him as a burnt offering. In other words, I want you to sacrifice him. And I want us to just allow that to, to sink into our minds here this morning to what God is asking of Abraham. Abraham doesn't know that this is a test. Abraham just hears the words of God. And so I know if it was me hearing something like that, obviously the first thing that was sort of sink in would be a bit of a pushback. I'd be like, God, I don't understand this. Uh, I, I, I've been waiting a long time for this son. Uh, you know, you gave me this son, and now I, if I'm hearing you correctly, you want me to sacrifice my son. And, and, and you would think that there would be great pushback here 
as Abraham is, is probably finding it very difficult to trust God at this point in his life. I, we know he loves God and he trusts God, and now God is asking him to surrender to him. And what's so powerful in the word of God that we read in Genesis 22, verse 3, are these words right here. That to me, this is the, the heartbeat of, 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 of Abraham's surrender. It says in verse 3, so Abraham rose early in the morning and he set out to do what God called him to do. Now we all know the rest of the story if we've, if we've ever studied this story and God ends up stopping Abraham from, from killing his son, from sacrificing his son. But, but again, Abraham didn't know that this was a test and so Abraham set out, no doubt, not knowing clearly the, uh, the reasoning behind this, but he set out in surrender to God's will for his life. This is a powerful story. And it's one that teaches us so much about our relationship with a holy and righteous God, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the creator of the heavens and the earth. If your view of Christ is not the creator of the heavens and the earth, then, then you don't fully understand who Jesus Christ truly is. And so this morning, we want to dive into this. We want to look at this. And, and the question that sort of captivated my heart as I was reading through the different passages and studying for this message was, how do we get to the kind of place where we can trust God to that level or, or, or that degree and, and then even take it even further to where we just truly not just trust Him, but we surrender to the will of God? And so that for me is a, something, I, I look at that and that's just where I want to be in my life. I, I'll be honest with you, I'll be transparent. I don't know that I'm there, but, I, but that's, that's the desire of my heart is to, to be to a place where I'm fully submitting to the will of God for my life. And so we want to look into this this morning. The message is titled Surrender, as you might have imagined. And we're going to be looking at Luke chapter 9. Go ahead and turn there in your Bibles or your electronic device, whatever you have with you today that you can look with me at the Word of God. If you don't have anything today, we will have it on the screen. But Luke chapter 9, chapter 9, we're going to start with verse 18, and we're going to roll all the way through to verse 26. And in Luke 9, Jesus asked what I believe to be one of the most powerful questions that he could ask of his disciples. And I believe also that as we look at this, as we come to realize this, this question that Jesus is asking of his disciples, I believe it's one of the most profound questions we could ask of ourselves as well. It's a question that however we answer this question determines everything. And so here today we're going to read this story and we're going to see this question that Jesus asked of his disciples. Luke chapter 9 verse 18 and following. Read with me if you will. He says this, well, the word says this. It says, now it happened that he, meaning Jesus, was praying alone, but his disciples were there with him. And he asked them, who do the crowds say that I am? And they answered, John the Baptist, but others say Elijah, and others that one of the prophets of old has risen. And then he said to them, and here's that question, 
Who do you say that I am? And Peter answered, the Christ of God. And he strictly charged and commanded them to tell this to no one, saying, the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and to be killed and on the third day be raised. And he said to all, if any would come after me, let him deny himself and take up the cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it or will save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words, of him will the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in his glory and the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. There's no way that we can read through Luke chapter 9 and not hear of who Christ is. There are so many people in Luke, excuse me, in the gospel of Luke that are giving testimony to the reality of who Jesus Christ is. We, we look into Luke, and at the very beginning, at the onset, we hear from the prophets of the Old Testament. We hear testimonies of the angels. As we continue through Luke, we, we, we see where John the Baptist, he gives testimony of who Jesus is as the Son of God. We see the testimony of uh, Simeon and Anna, and even Jesus himself at age 12 would give testimony that he indeed was the Son of God. We continue reading and we see that even the crowds, the lost crowds, would give testimony that this appears to be the Son of God. And the scriptures refer to one woman as a sinful woman who gave testimony that Jesus was the Son of God. We see demons and even the devil himself even testify that Jesus is the Son of God. And so we have all of this that's taking place in the Gospel of Luke as Jesus is living out his ministry, as he is going around teaching who he is And so it doesn't really surprise us that by the time we get to Luke chapter 9, that Jesus has said to them, who do the crowds say that I am? Who is it that people say that I am? And immediately the disciples turn to the reality that they're sort of missing the mark, obviously referring to the crowds and and to people that may not quite be assured of who Jesus is. And they say, well, some people would say that you were John the Baptist or, you know, different people they would say. But the reality is is that, you know, they think something differently. This is what they sort of propose to Jesus. And so Jesus asked them this very profound question. Jesus asked them this very important question when he looks to his disciples. He says, it doesn't really matter what everybody else says that I am or what they, who they say I am, but he looks to his disciples and he says this, but who do you? Say that I am. This is a challenging question. It's amazing that Peter would just jump right out there, but then that's sort of his MO, isn't it? He, he just real quick a lot of times would just jump out there and sort of throw himself under the bus. But, but here Peter, he, he hits the nail on the head. He says, but you are the, the Christ of God, he says. Peter obviously taking it a bit further than maybe where the crowds would have said, that Jesus is or who Jesus is, but he is, he is definitely presenting the truth 
of who Christ is, who Jesus really is. So Jesus asked this question. He says, who do you say that I am? And as I look at this passage today, I, I, just, I just gotta, I gotta believe that this is probably one of the most important questions that today we could ask of ourselves. You see, there's this idea that is, uh, this truth about Jesus that oftentimes if you ask any disciple or follower of Jesus, they would certainly reply this way, that where you would say, hey, who is Jesus? They would say, well, he is the savior of my life. And a lot of times, that's kind of where we camp out. We, we like the idea, we cherish the idea that Jesus Christ, he went to the cross and he died on the cross and his blood was spilled and that blood atoned for our sins and he was buried in a tomb and in three days he rose from the grave having victory over both sin and death and that because God has saved us by grace through our faith in Christ Jesus, he is now our Savior. How many of us celebrate that this morning? Amen? We celebrate him as our Savior. But you see, what Jesus is getting at here in this story is that that is only part of the story. Because Jesus isn't merely our Savior. Something that we all celebrate and, 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 and something that we so often just sort of hold up on and camp out on because it brings us warm, fuzzy feelings when we think about the reality that Jesus has saved us for an eternity. But maybe some of the things that Christians all over the world refuse to do is take it further, the place that Jesus wants us to take it, where we would also acknowledge him as Lord of our life. And so Jesus is not just simply our Savior, but he is our Lord. He is the King of kings. He is the Lord of lords. He is one whom we should submit authority to, one whom we should surrender to. And that's what we see here. Jesus asked his disciples, he says, who do you say that I am? And then he immediately begins to go into talking about a few things. And that's where I want us to sort of camp out here this morning together as we look at God's word together. You see, one of the first things that Jesus does is he brings attention to his death, his burial, and his resurrection. He says in verse 22, he says, the son of man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes, and look at this, and be killed. And on the third day, be raised. You know, it's very obvious that Peter understood clearly who Jesus was when he said, but Lord, you are Christ of God. You are the Christ of God, the anointed one. And so he, he, he lays this out. And, and so Peter knew who he was. The disciples knew who he was. But in fact, he asked this question, you know, who are you? And, and they respond to this to, to really reveal something very important. And Jesus wants them to know this as he begins to point to his death, burial, and resurrection. Jesus is wanting them to understand, yes, but this is for the Father to exalt. In fact, what we see as we read through the Gospels is that it was up to the Father to exalt the Son to be the Christ. And Jesus wanted to go ahead and cover those bases as he was dealing with his disciples. Now, uh, what we see here is, is this, because the, the question that really comes to us is what does it mean that Jesus is the Christ? Uh, it may be a surprise to some of you, but Christ is not Jesus' last name. It's just not. It's not Jesus Christ, you know, Jesus Christ, like David Rogers. It's, 
is Jesus the Christ of God is really the way it would we, we would best understand this. Christ is, is the Greek equivalent to the Hebrew word Messiah. And Christ and Messiah basically mean the same thing. It means the anointed one or the appointed one. And so as we think about who Jesus is, it is important that we know that it is God the Father who sent his Son. In fact, we know that Scripture teaches us that God so loved us that he would send his Son. This appointed one, one that was coming to not only be uh, mocked and not only suffer at the hands of religious leaders, but to also be killed on the cross, to die on the cross through suffering whose blood would be shed for the atonement of our sins, who would be buried in a tomb, only that God would exalt him or raise him from the dead, having victory over sin and over death. And so what a a remarkable way for Jesus to begin to tell exactly who he is by pointing to the reality that he is the anointed one. If we go back to Isaiah, and I love this passage. It's a great Christmas passage. We won't wait till then to just sort of look at it. We'll look at it this morning. But Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 and 7 says this. For unto us a child is born, to us a son is given. And we begin to realize that what Isaiah is talking about, the one he is talking about is Jesus. And he says, And the government shall be upon his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of the peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish and uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. And so we see here that this child would be born uh, to us. This, this gift would be given to us in the, the form of a child. His name would be Jesus or Emmanuel, which literally means God with us. And we begin to see that all of the government, all of the world, all of the creation, in fact, would rest upon who he is because all things were created through him and by him, the word would teach us. And so we begin to have this very uh, amazing view of who Jesus is. He is not just simply the one who would die on the cross for the forgiveness of our sin and become our Savior, that true, but also our Lord. I look at this. And I think of these things that Jesus is, the wonderful counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting father, the prince of peace. How many of you are thankful that that is who Jesus is in your life as well? The wonderful counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting father, and the prince of peace. So often in our circumstances, as dark as they can be, it is so comforting to know Jesus as these things. This is who he is. The Christ signifies that Jesus was sent by the Father to basically be two things. One, our deliverer, and two, our king, our king. We know him as our savior. Do we know him as our Lord, the one in whom we surrender to? Matthew 28, 18 tells us, Jesus says this. He says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. This is the words of Jesus. Well, if all authority is given to Jesus, if he is the sovereign one of the heavens and the earth, then we are to surrender to his kingship. 
The second thing that we begin to see is Jesus begins to reveal the cost of discipleship. He says in verse 23 and 24, he says these words. He said, and, it said, and he said to all, if any would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life would lose it, but whoever would lose his life for my sake will save it. It's here that Jesus begins to reveal the need to surrender to not only his authority, but also to his kingship. He says, if any would come after me, he says two things. One, deny yourself. And two, he says, to follow me. And so it becomes very clear that Jesus becomes Lord of our life when we are saved by God's grace through our faith in Christ Jesus, that he is more than just merely our Savior, but he is the king of our life. And we are to deny ourselves and to follow him. This is the very heart of Jesus' teachings in the gospel. He is God and we are not. He is king and we are servant. This is the heart of Jesus' message, of his teaching, of everything that he brought. And what we begin to see is that salvation, though it may be a free gift, surrender is the evidence of us acknowledging that truth. Surrender is the evidence of us acknowledging that he is Lord of our life. First Peter, I love what he says. Peter says, humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God so that at the proper time he may exalt you. So Peter says this, he says, humble yourself, what? Under the mighty hand of God. You know, under the mighty hand of God. We are to submit, we are to cease resistance and we are to submit to the authority of Christ Jesus. He is the one who has all authority over the heavens and the earth, and we are to uh, submit ourselves under him. Paul said it like this. He says, Or do you not know that your body is a temple uh, of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? And then he says this, You are not your own. You know, I love the way Paul, he often introduces himself when he writes these letters to these different churches. You'll see this often as you read through the scripture where Paul says, I, Paul, a bondservant of Jesus Christ, basically acknowledging the kingship of Christ in his life and the reality that he is nothing more than a mere servant to Christ Jesus. He submits. He doesn't resist that. He doesn't push back on that. He submits to the authority of Jesus being the king of kings and the Lord of lords by referring to himself as a bondservant. And so here we see this being played out as we, we begin to see the, the cost of true discipleship, of being a disciple of Jesus Christ. I love how Matthew Henry challenges us as, uh, concerning what it means to surrender. He says these words. He says, we must live a life of self-denial, mortification, and contempt of the world. We must not indulge our ease or appetite, for then it will be hard to bear toil and weariness and want for Christ. And then he says this, we must prefer the salvation and happiness of our souls before we consider any secular concern whatsoever. And so what Matthew Henry is basically saying is don't live a life of worldliness when Jesus Christ is the one who can make your soul most happy. He is the source of our peace. He is the source of our hope. He is the source of eternal bliss, knowing Christ Jesus and surrendering to the 
lordship of Christ Jesus. These two verses that we're looking at, 23 and 24, they are really the pinnacle of the question that Jesus has already asked to his disciples. He says, do you know me as the Lord? I know you know me as the Savior. Do you know me as the Lord of your life? And here's the reality. The reality is Jesus is the Lord. The Father has already exalted him as much. In Philippians 2, 9 through 11, we read these words. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every other name so that the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the God uh, of God the Father. And so the reality is Jesus is Lord, but the question is, who do we know him as? And that's the question we just keep asking ourselves as we get to know Jesus at a deeper level, as we continue to be sanctified by the Holy Spirit of God, as we continue to grow and mature in our faith. How do we know Jesus as? Who do we know him as? This is the question that should be on our minds every day. Are we submitting to the Lordship of Christ? The reality is one day, sooner or later, we will all submit to the reality, to the truth that he is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Romans 14, 10 through 12 says this, for we all stand before the judgment seat of God, for it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall confess to God. So then each of us will give an account of himself to God. And so that's the reality of our world. But I love how Jesus sort of wraps up this, this thinking. When Jesus says to his disciples, who do you say that I am? And then he begins to explain that he is not only Savior, but he is also Lord. And I love how he sort of wraps this thing up because what he does is he begins to help us to understand the richness or the rich reward of surrendering to him in the first place. I love what he says. He, he, he sort of presents this to us. He says, for what does it profit a man? What does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? And so Jesus sort of throws out this rhetorical question. And he says, what would it gain a man? What would it be to a man if he gains everything that he thinks he needs in this world, but he gives up himself? And so this rhetorical question is one that helps us realize the riches of surrender, the riches of submission to Jesus Christ as not only our Savior, but our Lord and Savior. And so here we begin to see this as he presents this because the truth is we gain everything in Christ Jesus. We gain it all in Christ Jesus. But Jesus knows that our heart naturally is inclined to pursue worldliness. And so he challenges us by saying, what do we gain? What do we gain? Do we gain wealth, prosperity, riches, fame, popularity? What is it that we're seeking in the world? Are these the things that are going to truly satisfy the soul? He helps us to realize that when we pursue these things, we lose ourselves. And Jesus, he asked this question, who do you say that I am? And he reveals to us that he is our Lord and our Savior. 
I want to close out with this, this last little thing that I want to give to you here this morning. But, you know, before I do that, every, every month our women's ministry does an event called Flourish. And I just want to, I want to say something about that. In fact, this Tuesday, Flourish is going to be taking place. And, and it, it's become really an amazing thing because in Flourish, what it does is it, it challenges women to consider a deeper, more intimate relationship with Jesus. It challenges women to seek first Jesus Christ and in the process of being sanctified as a disciple of Jesus to grow and mature in their faith. But also, it encourages women to connect with other women to walk in this journey together as they live out their life in pursuit of holiness and righteousness and the things of God rather than the things of this world. I love what Flourish is all about. I love how this has become very popular with the the, the women of this church and many women from other churches that are coming to this event because it really challenges them to pursue this intimate walk with Jesus. I often look at that and I think, man, what is it that Jesus really wants of his, of his disciples? And the reality is I don't think that they could have chosen a better word for this because I think flourish is exactly what Christ desires of us. You see, Jesus doesn't really want us to just know him intellectually. He wants us to journey with him. We talked about this last week. He wants us to walk with him, but he wants us to grow with him, to mature with him. To come to a place in our life where we not only can say about ourselves that we love him with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our mind, but we come to a place where we begin to trust him. And because of this overwhelming trust that we have in a holy and righteous God, we begin to surrender to him. And it's in that surrender, I'm totally convinced that it's in that surrender to him that we begin to experience the peace and the hope and all of the things, all of the blessings of knowing Christ in a very full way, a very powerful way. We begin to know Jesus, but we begin to live with Jesus and we begin to take on the image of Jesus through Christ-likeness. And our hope is not in the things of the world, but our hope is in the one who can make our souls happy. How do we do that? How do we do that? Well, I've got 78 things I want to share with you this morning. No, I'm kidding. I'll just give you four real quickly and we're done. First of all, Jesus would say, abide in me. So the first word would be abide. In John's gospel, we see these words. He says, abide in me, Jesus says, and I in you. As a branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I love this word abide. It's just such a, an amazing word. It speaks of us standing in Christ, standing with Christ, remaining in him. And so Jesus would challenge us. If we want to flourish, if we want to grow, if we want to be nurtured, and we need to abide in him. Secondly, he says, walk by the Spirit. The Word of God teaches us to walk by the Spirit. We talk about how the Spirit of God is so instrumental in our sanctifying work, the sanctifying work that's taking place in our hearts. 
And Galatians 5, 16 says this, but I say, Paul says, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of your flesh. If we want to know best how we can reject the worldliness in our life, then walk by the Spirit. Surrender to the Spirit of God. Give ourselves over to the Spirit of God and not focus so much on the world. Number three, here's another one. Live as a living sacrifice. Romans 12, 1, Paul says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. I love what Spence said earlier about how our, there's so much power in our praises. But my friends, the thing that we need to walk out of here with today is that worship shouldn't be something that occurs at 11 o'clock on Sunday morning. We should be living our lives as instruments in the Redeemer's hands, living out our lives in a spirit of worship, as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to God. So abide in Him, walk by the Spirit, live a life of living sacrifice, and then finally, surrender. Paul says in Galatians 3.20, I have been crucified with Christ. Think about that for just a moment. Allow that to sink in for just a moment. I have been crucified in Christ Jesus. Could there be a greater form of submission or surrender to Jesus than to acknowledge that we have been crucified in Christ Jesus? Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith in the Son of God who loves me and gave himself up for me. In just a moment, I'm going to pray. And the worship team's going to come up here and we're going to finish up this time together with a time of worship. But I want to challenge you this morning as we think about all that's been said and all that we've read and all that God has spoken into our hearts this morning about surrender. I want to invite you to just remain still for just a moment, to, to be still and to, to know that God is God in your life. That Jesus is more than Savior. He is the authority of our life. And to allow the Word of God to sink deeply into our hearts as the band comes and as they sing, as they prepare us for worship, let us meditate on the truth of God's Word. God's Word says that it will never, it promises that it will never return void. And I pray that this morning that God's Word has penetrated your hearts like it's penetrated mine as we think about the role of surrender in our life. Our pastors will be down front. And certainly you may come and speak to any of them that you wish to come and speak to. I'll be down here as well. But let us be still. Let us be still and quiet and allow the Spirit of God to speak into our hearts. And the power of praise through meditation impact our lives forever.
Father, we are thankful for this day that we can come and gather in this place together to worship you, to give to you, to celebrate with you. God, all the wonderful things that you are doing in this place. God, to see the testimonies like we saw in our video of Kirk and, and Kurt and just hearing his story and God just of how he speaks of life transformation through your power in his life, through your presence. God, as we've seen young ones here today surrender to obedience in baptism after coming to know you, even at an early age, God, to just see that and to welcome that and to be encouraged by that. Father, I pray that today for the rest of us here today, that God, as we meditate on the word of God, that we would hear your voice as you speak into our hearts. And God, as we are challenged with a question, a question that you ask about yourself, when you say to each and every one of us, who do you say that I am? Father, we would come to understand the answer to that question. And that we could rejoice in the reality that you are our Savior and our Lord. Lord, we love you. We praise you. In the name of Jesus, amen. And then before we stand and worship, let's just remain seated.